Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the roof, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello, my name is Luke, and welcome back to the Bruce Banana FC podcast, where we're going to be reviewing Arsenal 4, Bournemouth 0. Probably one of the most enjoyable games we've had this season and the most comprehensive victories. And with me, I have the sunniest Varun. How are you doing, Varun? Oh, I like that. I'm feeling quite sunny at the moment, definitely. And on the complete other end of the spectrum, we have the deadliest Ben. How are you doing, Ben? Yeah, um, I'm good. Much better than that. But I um, actually have a deadly fear, I'm going to be honest, that I might be supporting Spurs this afternoon against Liverpool. It kicks oh, off in about man. 15 minutes. And are you guys with me supporting Spurs or what are we feeling? Because I think you got to, for the greater good, to borrow a quote from my favourite The film, greater good. Exactly. There we go. I knew you'd um... get it. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we need to support Spurs because they're going to fall off in about November. Whereas Liverpool, you know. They're 18 unbeaten, and they're looking like a real t- title contender. So if they go to Spurs and pick up three points, then all of a sudden they're top of the league. And I think that for now, for this game, we support Spurs so that later on in the season, we have the best chance of winning the league. There is yeah, a I, be, I might be killed for that. Arsenal there fans, is, that, you that started with it as well. Definitely. A lot of people are clicking off the pods right now. <laughs> I've been in, yeah, there's a dilemma here, isn't there? I'm going to say something slightly different. I'm not Ooh. cheering Spurs on. I'm just not supporting Liverpool in this match. Mm, I like gonna, that. I'm gonna work. I like that a lot. That feels like cognitive bias. That that's mental gymnastics at its best for, and which I respect. There, there is, as I say, there's a problem with this, and that is that if you say to me who are a better team, I say Liverpool, who look like they're going to go further this season. Liverpool, by that metric, you'd assume that I'd want Liverpool to lose, but no, I'd probably say draw because any week that Spurs are happy is a week that I am less happy than I currently am. So. I'd but say that. If you but have to pick a team to win, if I have to pick a team to win, then I'd say I'd, I'd say Liverpool to lose. I'm not going. I'm not going to say the words <laughs> that you're trying to make me say. <laughs> exactly. I just want to. I want to hear hear Luke say, "I want Spurs to win." And then you everything. <laughs> I'll, I'll you know what? Even if we even if we don't have uh, even if we don't have that recording or that clip for Luke saying it, Ben said it about three times now. So <laughs> we can <laughs> yeah. uh, we can turn it into that. Well, luckily, we don't have to think about that for a little while. We're make, doing this recording as soon as the game finishes. So the the game that we referenced before, the Liverpool Spurs game, is kicking off in about half an hour, or actually about fifteen minutes at this point. Um, but we just come off of what has been, as I said before, the, probably the most comprehensive game we've had this season. We've had this a few times where we thought we were going to run riot, and the the Fulham game is probably the, one of the last ones we thought like we thought they were there for the taking. It didn't happen. We've come to Bournemouth today, who probably play a bit too honestly. So, firstly, I'll come to you, Ben. How does uh, how does that game make you feel? Do you feel reassured and happy with your weekend? Bournemouth are just a terrible football team, aren't they? <laughs> like not there's, not there's, there's Everton terrible. They maybe should have kept. Yeah, maybe, but not Everton terrible in that they play terrible football, but terrible in that they can't seem to find the back of the net which is arguably worse, you know, in terms of trying to stay in the Premier League. But it just, it w- it was a very nice, comfortable afternoon, like it was last year. You know, we had the, last year it was a Saliba chant that came out and you couldn't get it out of your head for about 
24 hours, 48 hours after the game, I remember you saying, Luke, you've been going around your house just singing a song uh, the whole day. And this time it was the Kai Havertz chant, you know. It feels like that's if, if ever there's a game where you've got players low on confidence and you just want a nice, easy game, the supporters to have fun, you go to the Vitality, you play Bournemouth. And, you know, it was the same again today. It was so comfortable. And I want to I want to say as well, a massive shout out to for Erdegaard and Saka for A, not deciding who the penalty taker is, which screws my FPL team, and B, for then deciding to give it to Kai Havertz, which, you know, is probably just what he needed. As much as it felt a bit like a, a make-a-wish kind of kind of gesture. I remember, I think, was it Lacazette and Aubameyang gave it to Pepe when he first signed? Yeah, um, it was kind yeah. of similar vibes, but with much less. Um, well, we're in a much better position now than we were then. But uh, it, I, I like, I really liked that, and I liked the way that they they forced him forward in front of the fans and the way the fans really warmed to him. So that was good. And all, all in all, there's there's not too much to complain about in this game apart from maybe some team management in the second half that could have gone differently. Um, I don't know what you guys think, but I thought it was a pretty pretty fun afternoon. Um, I think the only other thing, like obviously a little bit of the subs management in the second half, like I thought Saka could have been subbed off earlier than he was. And then in the first, I can't remember, it was about 10, 15 minutes. I felt like we were almost showing Bournemouth a bit too much respect, but perhaps we were expecting that they would try to go hard at us in those opening minutes because they had a lot of possession in that time. And then once we had the first chance or two, we uh, it was kind of all us at that point. Just took a bit of time for us to, I guess, make our superiority count. And uh, I think I completely agree with what you said, Ben. We had a, a game here where it was an opportunity, and especially with the way results have gone, because we can now officially say that, that Wolves have beaten Man City 2-1, which is their first loss of the season, which puts us a point behind City. And Ben pointed out before we started recording the pod, that, that means that we have the chance to go ahead of them if we beat them next week which is going to add a little bit more uh, fuel onto the fire for that game. But also, as, as you were saying, Ben, like it, it felt like it was a game that ticked so many boxes, right? Like Havertz gets his first goal. And before that, obviously, Havertz is a player at this point in time that he's under the microscope every game because he costs the money and we're still kind of trying to find that place for him. And up before the goal, I was kind of thinking about his performance in the sense it was like, I don't think he was bad, but at the same time, I don't think he was good. Then he scores the penalty and you kind of feel that weight come off of him and, you know, he's moving a bit freer. He's getting a bit more involved, like one touch passing. He's not really overthinking stuff. So I think there's a lot to say about, you know, the shackles of that, where now that he's got his first goal and he can kind of push on from there, I guess. So I think, I think that's so harsh though, because I think I I get, I get what you're saying about him not being bad, but not good, but also like, Mm. I think he, I think he was fine. I just think we've got, because, because he's a 65 million pound player. You know, at the end of the day, we paid what uh, what Chelsea wanted for him, or actually, probably slightly less than what Chelsea wanted. But we paid whatever the final fee was. That's not really. I I I don't like using that as a yardstick to be to play with. It's the same with sort of Pepe. You know, it's the whole he can't control his his price tag, and you do see some like Declan Rice, for instance, is a player where you look at him and go, yeah, that's one hundred and five million pounds. And Kai Kai Havertz is fine, like. He's been fine, and there's clear upside potential, but he's not like he's not been terrible. There's been a, a couple of things that have been massively overegged, you know, and there have been a couple of bad errors, like the Manchester United goal that he gave the ball away for. But like he's he's been mostly fine, and today again he was mostly fine. It's just that he's not the sparkling addition that sixty five million pounds used to get you. 
But I mean, when you look at how Manchester United are spending sixty-five million pounds and basically lighting it on fire and throwing it in a dustbin, Kai Havertz <laughs> is excellent by comparison. So I mean, it's a low bar. <laughs> I get you. I think I, I get that in the sense that, as you say, in my opinion, what is actually happening and what some of the opinions are happening, there's usually like a happy medium that kind of falls in between those, right? And yeah, he has been fine, but I I feel like. When it comes to elite football, sometimes fine almost becomes slightly derogatory because like, you know, Ben White's a seven out of 10 every week. You wouldn't say he was fine for that. Do you know what I mean? You'd say he, he was good. Even the games where he maybe doesn't lie up the stage, you'd say he was good because he, he just has like a really regular, consistent, varying kind of back performances that, that, that cater towards the game. And the only thing I'd say about, you know, Kai Havertz up until now is that yeah, he doesn't do a huge lot wrong, but at the same time, doesn't do a huge amount right. And I just think that when you're in a team that's competing for the t- title, it's it's fair to say that those players should be better. Varun, do you have, do you have an opinion on Kai Havertz? Uh, I think you kind of summed it up nicely with the with the comparison to Ben White. And I think he's not doing a lot wrong, but I think the opinion of a lot of fans is basically, and maybe understandable to an extent, that if you spend $65 million, you almost kind of think that that price tag is associated with a player who is going to be the spark, the difference maker all the time. When in reality, that kind of fee is almost a benchmark now, just your base fee for players. Um, Not to mention we're buying from a Premier League rival. Uh, I think a large amount of the price tag is simply because of the two clubs that were kind of in talks over this transfer. So I'm trying to ignore the price tag as much as I can at the moment. And I just look at what Havertz is doing on the pitch. And he looked at times in the last few weeks that he's a little shy on confidence, but he's not actually doing things wrong on the pitch for the most part. He's solid. And like Arteta said, he's basically asked Havertz to do two jobs on the pitch, which is a big ask. And he's doing that at a seven out of 10 level, at least every week. So I will take that. And obviously the goal hopefully boosts his confidence more and now we see him go up a level. Yeah, I mean, exactly that. There's, It's always the case that you can criticise players fairly and, and sometimes, you know, that gets really overblown and, and almost becomes abusive. And I think that, you know, Habits needs to be given time to, to find his place in the team and, and grow into this team. But at the same time, along the way, it's, it's it's fair for people to say, but you weren't great today, you weren't great today. But, you know, he's at a point now where he's got his goal. He looked a bit more free after that. We'll just see how, how he goes into into the next few games. Do you, do you play him against Manchester City? I guess that's that's the, the, see, where yeah. the conversation comes to a head. If Fabio Vieira is fit again. I would. I'm remembering the community shield and he did a good job there in, in the midfield. Okay, we set up question. Yes. Would you, would you then play him further forward and drop maybe Nketiah or would you play him in midfield as part of a midfield trio? Uh, I think that's going to depend on whether we have either of our left wingers available for the city match. I think if we've got either Trossard or Martinelli able to start that match, then I would put Jesus central or drop Nketiah. Um, and have Havertz a little for the forward, assuming that we have one of our first choice left wings available. I can see the logic in that, to be fair. But it's hard. I mean, obviously, whether or not Martinelli's there, if Martinelli's fit to start, then you imagine Martinelli starts, right? Um, if not, then I think I still think that we have to find a way to get Jesus back into the middle of the pitch. I just think that 
Arsenal playing the best football Arsenal can play. There's a lot of different formulas we we can use to kind of get around that level, but there's one formula that kind of gets us to 100% what Arsenal can do on our best day. And I don't think there's a way we can get there without Gabriel Jesus playing at centre-forward. I don't think that we can play at our best with Nketiah there. But obviously, you know, I thought he did like well today, but and obviously he played well today. I just think, you know, my opinion has always been that Jesus is just so, so transformational. Do you know what I mean? He's just such such an incredible player in that area. And he, he just unlocks doors to so many different players. And what did you, sorry, what did you make of him on the left today? Because obviously you're saying one or the other. Um, um, but what did you make of the two of them where sort of Eddie was playing through the middle and Havertz and Jesus were sort of rotating in that left side? Yeah, I mean, it, it worked today. Um, I don't think it was incredible. I, I still just feel like, obviously, you know, because Jesus works hard as well. So, he, you know, he tracks back well. You know, when he gets the ball, he's going to be progressive. You know, he's safe from the ball. He doesn't really lose the ball much. He can get the ball and dribble past anyone in any area. Um, I think he can play left wing. I don't think that's really the problem. I, um, I just think that when it comes to that central striker position, he is the X factor. And as much as Eddie can run, and obviously Eddie won the first penalty, which is huge because it's the first goal. But I just think you look at the overall performances, and for me, with what Eddie can and can't do, even though I think he's done well, like not amazingly, but well, I just think that we play better with the foil that is Jesus. And I think our team is better set up for that foil, especially someone like Havertz, because you say they rotated a bit on on the left-hand side. I think the next stage for Havertz is we need to get him into the box a bit more like he was doing in the first few games that he was playing because it feels like we've come away from that a little bit. And I don't know if that's partially because of Nketiah and the fact that Nketiah isn't really that full. He's more someone that runs off of it. So we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it was fine. It worked today. I don't think it is the what, what we should be aiming for. I, I think um, in terms of Jesus playing centrally, the thing is that even today, for example, against Bournemouth, we saw him veer centrally and even to the right a lot especially in the second half I saw that so I'm I'm thinking basically the the key is that I think Nketiah probably yeah can't play against City or can't start against City um, but whoever's playing left wing and center forward has to be able to interchange between those two positions so Martinelli has shown he can play for spells of a match at number nine, Trossard obviously rotated with Jesus nicely whenever we've seen Trossard start on the left, Jesus central, which is why I think that's that would be my reasoning for Nketiah perhaps not starting against against Man City. Um, the other thing is Havertz being further forward in those first couple of games. I think that's not fully on Nketiah. That's partly because of the personnel that we started those games with and what they allow us to do. Like the inverting fullback, for example, when we had Timber out on the left in in the Community Shield and in the first match against Forest, that's what allowed Havertz to be a little further forward when needed because we had the cover. Um, then when we lost Timber and we still didn't have Zinchenko and Gabriel back, we didn't have that luxury anymore. Now that they're back and they've been playing and they've got these minutes and match fitness back, maybe now we will see a little bit more of that blueprint for attack a little bit more with Havertz. I I think that might be something we could expect to see. Hopefully we see it next week in City, I suppose. Um, and the next thing I want to touch on is, you know, we, we all talk about the, the dominance we had in this game. We played really, really well. 
and we were able to squeeze them out. Obviously, a 4 0 win away from home in the Premier League is no mean feat in itself. But there was points where Bournemouth had opportunities, and I think that Saliba and Gabriel were huge in being able to kind of snuff them out. The the, the pace they were to be able to get into the right areas at the right times, the blocks they made. Ben, I, I say this seriously. Do you think they are, or do you think they could be the best defensive centre back partnership in the league? Yeah, why not? I, I just I think we've I think I, 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 it's been a strange season so far. We've had uh, obviously we had Gabriel not starting the first was it three games of the season, two games of the season, and loads of furore about the idea he might be going to Saudi Arabia or he might have fallen out with Mikel Arteta. Football change fast, then. Yeah, well, exactly. Um, I just think the the pair they complement each other so well. Where Gabriel can be a bit rash, um, but generally. You know, it has a lot of the similar um, similar qualities to Saliba, and they're both very good at uh, defending wide spaces and very good running back towards their own goal when needed. And they're both, I mean, Saliba's technical level, I think, is miles above Gabriel's when it comes to the confidence he has on the ball. But um, I, I think if you put, I mean, I think if you put you next to Saliba, you'd look half decent, Luke, to be fair. But I do think that Gabriel is. An excellent footballer kind. in his own right. Um, <laughs> it's the Van Dyke effect, isn't it? I think Van Dyke has had that over. Yeah, yeah. When he was at the well, peak of his powers, he felt like he made players look good next to him as well. And Sleeber is quite Van Dyke-esque in that sense, I think, maybe. Yeah, and they, they share a lot of similarities in that you just don't think Saliba's ever going to make a mistake or uh, make a wrong decision or play a pass that gets cut out too close to his own goal. You know, his he is already one of the best centre-backs in world football. And, you know, you don't, there aren't that many excellent centre-backs around, but he's right up there. Um, I, I don't know who you'd put above him now. You might still put Van Dijk up above him. Um, you might put John Stones or Ruben Diaz up, up there. Um, looking abroad, you might you know, you know, might put someone like Rudiger up there or even Araujo. But Saliba is definitely up there, and I think he walks into any team in world football. Yeah, I completely... And this is part of the reason why... When when Saliba signed his new deal, I, I felt like that was the statement of the summer because as much as I love Saka and I think Saka, again, is a player that could go straight to the top and play, you know, if, if in the future, I don't want to imagine him playing for anyone but Arsenal, but if he's if you imagine him in that Real Madrid shirt, then you're not going to laugh, do you know what I mean? Like, like it's something that you think could happen because of talent he has. Saliba is another one where... I know he's a Boyd Arsenal fan, but, you know, he this is a, a French guy who didn't come up through the academy other than the fact that we signed him at a fairly young age, and and you know there's been a lot of uh, of supposed turmoil through the the a lot of the time that he has actually been an Arsenal player, um, but other than the fact that it's been reported that he was an Arsenal fan um, from a kid, he hasn't really got that link to us that Saka has. So I think that in my mind, with his contract running down, and am I, am I right in saying that if he didn't sign a contract, this would have been his final year? I'm not completely sure. Um, but if that is the case, this year or next, yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that is the case, then you imagine every top club in the world must have been in his ear, all of them, the Madrids, the Barcelonas, the Bayern Munichs, Chelsea, City, like all these. He gets in all of them, PSG and even, as well. PSG, of course, of course, yeah. They, 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 you know, same as Mbappe, isn't it? They want to fill their their team with the best French talent, and the down amount of money that would have been on on show for him to to go to these clubs. I think it's such a coup for Arteta, Edu, and Arsenal overall to be able to convince Saliba that his that his at least the next four or five years of his career are at Arsenal. 
because as you say this is a guy that I think honestly at some point he will be recognized as the best center back in the world and I don't think you know, has there ever been a time that we could say that about a center back of Arsenal I've, I've never said that about about any center back that I've seen since I've been a fan um, uh, and now okay moving on so the person I want to talk about is this, this player I think is the most undervalued player in the team and it is Zinchenko and Zinchenko gets a lot of love as well but I think that it maybe just goes under the radar just how good he is because every midfield needs what I'd say every midfield that wants to go to the top level needs that general and, and that brain and I think that Declan Rice when he's come in has been so good to be that midfield general the way he covers space the way he's like so calm and composed uh, the way that, like, there was a point today where I'm not sure which Bournemouth player it was, but he just kind of, they were breaking us in, down in transition, going up to the right wing. Declan Rice just kind of jogs along next to him, waits for him to to commit to a, to try and something, and then just wins the ball and, and wins and passes it on. I, I, and But next to him was Zinchenko, who in my mind is, is the brain of our midfield. And the way that Zinchenko moves into places and gets the ball and keeps it circulating is, I think for me, if he can keep fit, and keep gathering this momentum, then I think he can become, I mean, I don't want to call him a central midfielder, even though he essentially does play central midfield. I think he can become one of the best central midfielders in the league. But Ron, when you're watching the game today, uh, was that midfield, that that kind of that pivot that we're playing with now with Zinchenko and Rice, like, did it impress you? What are your thoughts about it? I was actually paying close attention to Zinchenko because I don't know why it popped into my head during the match, just how good he is. And, uh, and and I was kind of watching for how he inverts when he times his movement from left back into central midfield. And it was amazing the number of times that he starts at left back and then ventures across rice and ends up not in like a left defensive mid role, but to the right. And he did that so many times in the match. Uh, it's not the first time he's done it either. It's It's incredible to me that he's that he's got the understanding to do this and then the stamina to do this all game. Um, one other thing, which I think uh, has been maybe a little under the radar with Zinchenko this season is he looks to have really worked on the defensive side of his game. I think his defensive positioning in general, when the opposition right back or right winger is kind of bombing up that side he does a really good job now of trying to cover his angles, making sure he's communicating and he has enough backup. Um, I looked at some highlights and some games from last season and compared it to the ones that he's played this season. And it, it's, it feels like there's a noticeable improvement in the defensive awareness of his game. now. Um, but, you know, if he stays fit, there's really nothing we can't achieve. I completely agree. I just think that for as, as much as, he has been frail defensively at times. I completely agree with what you're saying. You can see definite improvements there. Probably he's never going to be a top defensive wing back. It's never going to be the case. And um, you, you kind of see that with Trent as well. But, you know, Trent keeps getting Liverpool team and there's reasons he does that. And it's because he's so incredible technically that Liverpool know that even if he's going to give up a chance here and there, the the pros of having him in the team outweigh the cons. And I think we have the same thing with Zinchenko where... He just controls that tempo, finds those passes forwards, that bit of composure at times, just kind of squeeze out of tight spaces. Yeah, no, I, I think he's he's really, really, really superb. And another player I want to touch on kind of quickish, like with you, Ben, like 
do you remember Ben? We, like previously, we had a lot of talk about Smith Rowe, where it's hard to see where he's going to get minutes, and uh, and we, we spoke kind of earlier in the season, however, whether or not the the England under twenty ones. Uh, competition was going to be a, a springboard for him and it didn't really turn out that way we didn't really see him at all in the opening Premier League fixtures and then he gives a good showing against Brentford in the League Cup and he comes on today like what, what did you make of him today do you think the the door is opening for him in, in any way yeah I think um I, I mean first of all how how good would it have been if he'd found that bottom corner when he was about eight oh, yards out I was willing it and just rolled it wide after um after the after Jesus had been manhandled by that defender, but um, I do think there's a lot of room for Smith Rowe. I've always thought there's a lot of room for what he offers in terms of how direct he is with the ball, and he has a lot of skills that you know Fabio Vieira is very good uh, at the final action, and Martin Erdegaard is very good in deeper roles. But there's no like if you had someone in your team that, or if you wanted someone in your team that just drives at defenders nonstop like Saka does. Then Smith Rowe is kind of the guy, the only guy in the middle of the pitch that we've got. It was just about whether we'd need that sort of um, part in part of our tactical arsenal, I suppose. Um, but I am I'm really glad to see him game minutes. And I think that there is a door opening for him because it seems like with Kai Havertz, that's sort of what we're going to try and do a bit more. And I think that if Smith Rowe can stay fit and because obviously he couldn't he couldn't start today because he was subbed off ye- uh, yesterday Wednesday by, for being knackered. But um, if he can stay fit, then I think there's definitely a place for him to get plenty of opportunities this season. It's just about whether he can take them and whether he can avoid injury enough to be able to. Because you know it's always a availability is the best ability kind of thing, and we've seen with the likes of Thomas Party um, that they've been sort of phased or are being phased out because they can't be relied on to stay fit regularly. So that's going to be a massive thing for him. But I do I do think he's got so much talent, he can just kick on and become an, a really important part of this team again. Because obviously he was back in, was it 2020, 2021 season when he finished top scorer? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just, there, there's so much talent there. It just needs the right environment. And I think we're slowly creating the right environment. Um, and I think that there's enough games to go around where he can, he might play against Lon, for instance, he might um, play the next round of the Carabao Cup and then who knows from there because he's finally getting Premier League minutes again, which was a rarity before today. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I, I agree with you. Like, the, the talent is there and, like, it's weird, isn't it? Because the ingredients are almost there. It's almost like we have everything to make a cake and you throw it in a bowl and you're just hoping a cake's going to kind of poof out. But we just, it just hasn't happened up until now, has it? Like, the, um, uh, we just haven't seen it. We just, when he goes into that, especially that left centre midfielder position, which you'd imagine is the one that that he's going to have the better chance of getting if um, if he can somehow outperform Kai Havertz over the, kind of a longer term. You just want him to, when he gets a chance in that position, which might be Lons, that'd be really interesting to see if he does or not. Um, if he does get a chance in that position, then whether or not he can just take it because for all the times that we can say, oh, you know, I can see that he can play that position. Like it makes sense. Like he's got the the raw kind of ingredients to, to play as a that left centre mid in that kind of half space area and, and be attacking and direct, as you say. But you're just waiting for him just to kind of like grab it, just kind of take the opportunity and really kind of like nail it in. But yeah, yeah. no, it's something, something to wait and see. It's it's kind of, it's it's kind of, um, I mean, it's a bit of a lazy comparison to say Grealish because of the socks and all that. But um, 
it is a bit like Jack Grealish where Man City have so many creators, but Grealish is the only one that really like keeps the ball, um, mm-hmm. you know, runs with the ball, can take commits players. That's sort of what we've got in Smith Rowe, but maybe a more I don't want to say rounded variant, but there, I think there's more potential there to be a, a full time goal scorer than maybe with Grealish. So is is a really useful profile to have. And there are a lot of profiles that we were we've been linked with in the last couple of years where you've gone, well, we'd rather probably just have Smith Rowe. But it is just about kicking on now because he's is he twenty three now? Oh, I think let me check actually. It wouldn't surprise me. I think he I think he is. Yeah. I think yeah. he is. So so it does feel like last season, it does feel like a bit of a make or break season for him. And it would be I mean it would be great for him to be in this team, wouldn't it? Like if Arsenal can have any sort of success and we've got Sack and Smith Rowe both in the team and Enketi around the squad and Nelson around the squad. It just it it makes it feel like a, a home club almost because we've got so many homegrown players in there. But um it is it is one of those things where it's just he's got to he's got to seize his chance when he gets it. And I think he did against Brentford. I thought he was really good. Um I think what he's pretty promising again today, albeit against a pretty shoddy Bournemouth team with the score already or with the result already put to bed, but if he can do it against Lawn or if you know he gets minutes against Manchester City or whatever, then that's where we'll really start seeing him. And as the season gets longer, he'll have more chances and hopefully he just sort of can find a way back into Mikel Arteta's good books, I guess. Yeah, as I say, you can almost kind of sense that that door's opening a little bit because, I mean, he's gone from not even getting off the bench to, to getting like a fair chunk of the game today and, and, and a start midweek where... I think it's fair to say that he's taken us opportunities to a certain extent and, and he's played well. And, you know, we have Champions League coming up uh, midweek from a game against a team that is we know is going to be our main rivals for the title. So whether or not we're going to rest a few players midweek, I'd imagine we would, but we'll wait and see. Like Smith Rowe might get another start in the Champions League um, or get a start in the Champions League and then we can see a bit more what he's made of. But I think that is a great time uh, for us to leave it uh, we've got a big week coming up where we have as I said before the match against Lons in the Champions League midweek and then we have uh, Manchester City at the weekend and we will be here covering it all on the podcast so thank you very much for listening this far in if you are this far in I have been joined by the sleepiest Ben who is also a Spurs fan how are you feeling Ben say goodbye to everyone well that's just woken me right up on that, <laughs> that oh, podcast. No. We're, not ending, we're not ending it now <laughs> Hang on a minute. Well, Hang on. I didn't. I didn't mean it like that, Ben. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, we're here. <laughs> Say goodbye to the sorest Varun. How how do you feel about this, Varun? Do, do you agree with Ben? Am I being unfair? I don't know. I'm not really feeling particularly sore. I'm usually quite okay after a good win like this. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 not the worst one that this generator has given me. So I'll take it. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. So. <laughs> thanks very much for listening this far it has been the Bruce Runner FC podcast my name is Luke thank you very much and goodbye Erdegaard is joining in and he's seen Martinelli extraordinary set it for Saliba Bukayo Saka beaten out by the roost and touched in by Jesus Bukayo Saka oh,